Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper Podcast. Your host, Greg, will have smart discussions with friends, experts, and thought leaders on customer experience, transformation, and leadership. Please follow this podcast on your preferred platform. I am sure you will enjoy the next episode with the guest I selected for you. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight it's really a big pleasure because I have Jim Ayub together with me. Hi, Jim. How are you? Greg, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about today's podcast. Uh, it's the pleasure. It's all on my side because we discussed a lot through LinkedIn, commenting our different uh, posts. And then we said, now it's time to get on a real discussion together. The first time that we are meeting digitally, but super happy that you accepted my invitation. And I think we are going to discuss about a lot of interesting topics, data-driven culture, artificial intelligence, technology, all these important topics that everybody is speaking about. And we have on the CX Goalkeeper podcast the big pleasure to have a veteran of these topics, more than 30 years career. But before I start introducing you, I think as you are here, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you again. Uh, so my name is Jim Ayub. I am the Chief Customer Officer at ETEP Global Services. I've been here for 24 years. I was born and bred in apps. So I started my career as a call center agent, believe it or not. And I've been with my boss, Matt Rocco, who's our CEO and president. Two different jobs, two different companies. So we've been together forever. And it's just been life-changing, not only for me, but for the people that I support across e-tech lines of businesses as well. That's that's really great and, uh, and a great story. And perhaps to learn a bit more about you, which values drive you in life? Yeah, so like when you think about the values, what I learned a long time ago was it's really about helping other people, if that makes sense. Like the values for me, I get more excited and and better if I could help others. That's really my values. But I mean, eTech has 12, you know, core competencies that we talk about. You know, I'll name a few like teaming, you know, risk taking is, is literally one of them, which is pretty much like when you think, when you think about what we do at, at, at eTech and what we do in our careers, adaptability, nimbleness, all these things that we do. I think that's, that's really what is missing in the environment. I mean, we, that, that's really what, enlightens me. I love to help young up-and-comers to become future leaders because I want to retire someday. And I believe that the bigger bench you build, the more successful you are to be able to retire. <laughs> But uh, what you you're saying, it's something that Also, Jack Ma is, is sharing that in your in late in your career between 50 and 60, your main target should be really to help others grow and build the, the leaders of the future, giving back to, to this new generation what, what we learned and what we did. And therefore, I think I really like and enjoy part and what, what, what you are sharing. But now let's go really to the real topic discussing about data and artificial intelligence. It's clear everybody's speaking about data as the new currency, the role of data in business. How can businesses leverage data? So it's really a fascinating topic when you think about AI, speech analytics. You know, it's comical because I am old, as we discussed. And when you think about it, this is no different than what we said 10, 15 years ago. 
big data. All it is is the opportunity or customers generate data at every touch point. Think about it, right? You know, at eTech alone, we've we've actually analyzed 45 million minutes of, of conversational data going on with our customers. We tag probably a half a billion events in those conversations. And, and, and we're not unique in that aspect, by the way. There's so much data being generated every second. What I'm seeing, though, is companies are struggling to make sense of this mass amounts of data. So I've always had this vision of there has to be a better way to extract actionable insights from this data to improve not only the customer service agent or sales agent, you know, their performance and, and obviously operational efficiencies. But then I'm looking and I'm digging out and, and the problem even intensifies with this influx of these so-called, we'll call them dashboards. That's what people think about, fancy dashboards and these learning AI demos that people talk about. So I found that the catch, right, in this whole rush for this AI technology, the loser at the end of the equation is the customer. And I'll give you an analogy. So imagine 5,000 customers asked to speak to a supervisor, right? You know, you know they had negative sentiment or, or whatever on this million minutes or you know massive amounts of data. It, it sounds great on the surface, I mean, doesn't it? But as an as an ops guy, I say, okay, now what? So the crucial question remains: What actions were taken? How can agents be empowered? What are the process gaps resulting in this situation? You know, that's when some of these AI tools that try to sell you their analytical capabilities, most of the tech guys, and I don't mean to offend any technology people, but most tech guys never took a call a day in their life. So a lot of times you see people solving problems that really aren't operational problems because they never really worked in a contact center. Right. So they don't have that domain expertise, which I think is a is a big miss in the industry. And then what ends up happening, what we're seeing is companies end up relying on the tool or the tool's perception of what the customer needs to make these decisions. Again, leaving the customers with the consequences. So what eTech, we've taken a different approach. So we've taken this ground up approach driven by the experience and we are the heart of a contact center because we are a contact center, right? And, and what, what I'm finding is not everybody is a data analyst or a data scientist or a data engineer. And if you build something that you don't have to be one of those big high level paying people and you give the people the data they need when they need it and visible to them and the choice that they want, that's what's making the difference. So like in an agent, like you can give an agent, you know, how they're performing against, you know, the person next to them, the campaign, the program, how do you get them to achieve their goals? You know, at a supervisor level, they have a different snapshot. They want to see their team standings. How's the team doing, right? What actionable strategies can I take as a supervisor or leader and understanding I can get all this data easily. And then, of course, you have that analyst. 
Now, analysts, that's really the holy grail of any human intelligence mixed with artificial intelligence, because those guys know how to mine the data, import the data, take the data from a conversation, export it into a usable format for anybody, right? And one of the other things I've seen during this transition of, of what we wanted to build versus what other people can provide, a lot of people are using these things called black box algorithms, right? I despise black box algorithms because I believe every model has to be transparent, customizable based on what you want to do, and of course, ensuring accuracy. And when you look at a decision maker, a decision maker wants to get who, what, why, where, when it happened, but more importantly, how do I fix it? And a lot of people in the industry will fight me on this saying, but if they're a supervisor, they should know how. They should, but not everybody. What about the people we promote it without giving them the proper training because we were growing so fast and you needed a supervisor, right? So that's really the big window you have to solve for, whether it's a contact center KPI, a voice of customer analyst or survey, it has to be seamlessly integrated and be correlated to the user that it's going to do. If, if Hopefully that helps a little bit. I mean, but that's really, that's really what I'm seeing in the industry because I talk to a lot of people who have speech and they'll say, and I'm not getting what I need out of it. I, I, you know, and that's just, that's because these people who sell a lot of tech stacks sell it as it's going to solve all the world's problems. It's, it's a myth. It's not true. You need human intelligence to actually teach the machine what to look for. And then you need those people, which again, human intelligence to dissect the data into the most important things. Cause otherwise you're looking at 2 million data points and you're like, I don't know where to start. Hopefully that helps. It's really interesting. And let's unpack a lot of topics that you touched. You already shared a possible governance around data. You shared the transforming unstructured data into structured data. And then the role of technology, that's the mean and not the solution. But for me, you said, and I really like that. I am an ops guy and I really like that. And the second thing that you shared that I think it's relevant is was this example. I was taking calls. I know what's what's happening and I continue trying to learn from this one. I worked also in operations contact center. That was also my duty to listen to, to calls. And now working in an hospital, I cannot listen to calls, but I'm shadowing other people, following them and understanding them. I think there it's extremely important what you said. Now back to contact center. In the past, all these conversations were unstructured data. Nobody was able to understand them. Only the quality management that listened to the calls and checked, did he ask the question, did he perform well, and so on, and, and then, then. And now this technology is able to transform unstructured data into structured data. And you said we labeled all, all this data. And you shared one, one, one other topic, speech analytics, getting out all the information. Could you please elaborate a bit on this transformation from unstructured data into structured data linked also with speech analytics? Yeah. So if you think about it, the role of data in business, as you know, is, you know, how do you leverage it, right? So data is the cornerstone of all informed decisions. It empowers organizations to understand customers, 
streamline operations, foster innovation. You can even predict market shifts. But the data is only as meaningful as the people behind it, right? And, and these people who talk about machine learning, let's be clear, the machine is learning from a human. So you need to have a clear goal, right? You need to have a framework to achieve it. It's not numbers on a dashboard. And another analogy, Netflix, they use a ton of data. Matter of fact, they use data to recommend your TV shows, your movies. It also uses data to decide what shows they should produce. If you didn't know this, you know, one of Netflix's huge popularities, which by the way, shame to say I've never watched, was Stranger Things. One billion hours and 140 million visitors, like quickly. I, I've never seen the show. I don't know, but it was it was crazy, right? So so think about that. They have more viewers than their competitors combined by three times. So when you think about that data, and if you look at old data versus new data, to your right, like in the old days, listen to three calls, two calls. You're making all your decisions on biased information. When you use speech, you're listening to all calls or a majority of calls. So the, the, the conversations with your team actually get better. Because now instead of saying, hey, Greg, I listened to a call and this is what happened. I could come to Greg now and say, hey, Greg, I listened to 180 phone calls. <laughs> You're only effective in probing 42% of the time on all them calls. So let's focus on that behavior. So I've actually published three books on this topic with my CEO and president, Matt Rocco. And we have a famous quote. Quality is not a score. It's a behavior. And when you look at the behavior and stop dinging agents for what they're doing wrong and telling them their score and talk about effectiveness and what's in it for them, that's the role of how you take that data and which can bring us into really a data-driven culture if that's if, if, if that's really where you want to go. I, I really like that. And we have also a tweetable moment with the sentence that, that you shared, but joke, joke aside, one topic that you mentioned in the first answer and now in the second answer is popping up. And I know that you want to share something about that in the word dashboard. Yes. <laughs> I think that's, that's always, I think the, a big, big simplification. We need a new dashboard, put some additional data on the dashboard and you start with two numbers or two figures. And then you have a graph and then you have another one and another one and it's growing, it's growing and it's growing and the data from this and from that, that point of view, what, what, what's your, your view on all these dashboards that so, we are creating? So, so I despise dashboards and it's pretty comical because these people that show me all these dashboards and they're cute, they're fancy. I'm not a UX guy. Transparently, I'm more of an ops guy, like we said, and, Dashboards are cute. That's really what I call them in the industry. Really what I want is I want to get out of the data silo and I want to get into a spot where, and what we've produced at eTech, so you know, is I have dashboards. They're cute. I don't really use them a lot. I'm more interested in actionable output. So we bucketize it into three categories. You have people, you have processes, and you have technology. So now the people managing the people know exactly what they need to go in and coach them. The processes. So as an example, if somebody's calling the call center 
and saying, I'm calling you because I was on your website trying to do this and I couldn't. Traditional QA doesn't pick that up because the agent did everything you were supposed to do. So when you bucketize this into tech, you're saying, wait a minute, your website's broke. It happened 1,152 times this month. That tells me that you have a process break in your website. Let's fix that, which would reduce your call volume. Okay. And then you've got technology, which when people come in and say, man, I wouldn't call you, but I just wondered if this is in blue, right? Does it come in red? Again, that should be self-serve. So again, that's how I look at the whole entire data. And you can't get all that in a dashboard. A dashboard would tell you, hey, 78% of your customers have frustration. Okay, now what? And you have to dig down, dig down. It ends up being like the old Tootsie Roll commercial was how many clicks does it take for me to get to my data? And that's just never been, I've never been a fan of that. I want it effortless. Tell me who, what, why, where, when, what I have to do to fix the organization and then come back after you've given me the data and more importantly, trend it and hold me accountable to getting the changes and see those trend lines going up. You are saying something really interesting, putting data together, data silos, and all these these topics and creating actions out of the data. How to build data-driven organization or data-driven culture in these businesses? Yeah, so it's a good one. So first and foremost, I think the, the biggest gap is education. So you need to educate people. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you, right? It's not a call. It's on hundreds of calls. Secondly, reward the right behavior. Talk about effectiveness of the behavior. And the more effective you get, the more money you'll make, the more rewards. And last but not least, communicate. I think communication is probably one of the other outliers out there. And then to put all that together, the data has to be accessible to all. That's what you need to do. So you want to reward the data-driven decision-making. And I have a quote up here. You can't whack someone on bad data, right? So the data's got to be accurate, okay? You can't take consequences if it's inaccurate. So all that has to happen. But then it has to be accessible to everyone. So we not only give the data to our leaders, it actually goes right to the agent and their desktop. So their agents are seeing transparently what everybody else sees along with our customers. And in order to do that data-driven culture, it starts with people. So first you have to hire the right people <laughs> and then you have to provide the right data to them to make decisions, not sending them data and expecting them to make the decisions because you have to educate, teach, reward. See, these organizations I've talked to in the past that have the, they live with this, in these data silos where everybody hoards data, right? They, they hold their data. They're the data shop, can't share that. Some of them don't even know each other. Siloed data actually turns into siloed decision-making. If you don't tell your website team what's going on with the website and these issues, right, and the button's broken, how are you going to fix it, right? And then if you're calling about a time and realize the issue's still not fixed, now my agent is like, why bother? Why tell anybody? Nothing's getting done about it. But that's really how you build that data-driven culture and to bring all of these systems together. In one platform, that's another thing that we've, we've thrived ourselves. I have to log into here for quality. 
I have to log into here to listen to my calls. I got to log in here to look at the data, right? I got to log in over here to do something else. We brought all the data into one GUI interface. So literally our leaders can look at the dialer stats, call volume, abandonment rates, along with the quality. And you make that transparent across the organization. And if I'm an agent, I can not only see my performance, I can see my team that's around me. And I can also see the whole campaign. And that's really what it's making in that data-driven culture, which means humans and machines work together to generate, analyze, and interpret the data. It's extremely interesting because you're not sharing the, 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 the insights about accuracy, reliability, getting all the data together, but also at the end, really being transparent and sharing all the data. And how is it possible to really build trust using this data and data analytics? Well, I think you just called it out. Transparency, that's the key, right? So, so think about you know another example. In a traditional contact center, agents and supervisors, let's be clear, since the dawn of day, they butted heads, right? They don't trust quality simply because they could never trust recommendations coming from someone who heard two calls. Because again, you're making all your decisions on biased information, right? So what we ended up doing and what I would recommend for anybody listening, right? You, you know, you don't want to say, oh, I listened to this call. Everybody needs to be trained. That's not true. It was a call on thousands of calls. What you want to do is you want to build a Pareto chart to find out where is the top opportunities across the organization, bring it down to the agents, right? When you tell agents that every conversation is being processed and what they see is essence, all of their calls in the last 24 hours, seven days or whatever, the conversation with the agents is much different because they can't be as defensive as typically when they say, oh, I remember that call. My dog passed away that day. I was having a bad day. Oh, no, no, it was on 187 phone calls, <laughs> and, and this is how effective you are. And then when you can get your supervisors to understand the team's strengths along with those opportunities and teach them how to be surgical, right? Surgical being able to make moment decisions that impact performance. They're able to move the needle in real time and seeing it. And when you take that bias out, It's clean for everyone. And that's where trust comes automatically. Because remember, people make mistakes. Machines make mistakes. But at the end of the day, the machine isn't going to have any feelings. So it doesn't matter if Jim talks loud. He's not frustrated because a lot of people think that I'm frustrated, but I'm very passionate. The machine can't detect that because I've tried it with my own voice. When people tell me they can hear tone of voice, these AI companies that say, game changer, I'm going to show you how we can give you sentiment based on tone of the conversation. Let's go. And I have them record me. And the machine tells me every day that I'm frustrated, aggravated, and it's not true. But when you look at how a machine is programmed using contextual data, natural language processing, and all these things, it's looking for words, phrases, what was said before, what was said was after. And if you can teach and educate your agents how the machine works, then they get that trust. Because the biggest opportunity in trust with speech, they see a mistranscribed word, 
And they say, well, this is all wrong. That's not true. Our engineers have already picked up the mistranscribed word and the contextual behind it solve for that equation. And when you build that, that's how you get the trust. I really like it. And I hope that you are not frustrated frustrated on the CX Goalkeeper podcast. I really feel the passion and therefore also for the people listening to the show and not seeing you, Jim, I can confirm it's only passion. It's not frustration. <laughs> Thank you. But see, the machine can't pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how the algorithm will, will evaluate our discussion. <laughs> There is one question that I need to ask, but based on the fact that you are really an expert, I will change it a bit. What is the role of artificial intelligence, but not in general, really for the benefit of the employees and for the benefit of the customer? Could you please share your your, your view yeah. on that? So artificial intelligence, what it does is let you scale, right? So artificial intelligence, and there's a couple, everybody's using this word now. Here's a couple of things I would tell the audience. A, AI is not replacing your job. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a webinar in November on this same topic because people have talked about, if you remember, since you're a call center guy, remember when IVRs came out? Oh, all the call center agents are going to be gone. IVRs, it's frustrating. Nobody wants to go through IVRs. Then you heard big data. And then you heard this. Now you hear AI. It's going to replace. It's going to augment. It's going to help people get better, right? It's going to give agents information when they need it, at the time and the moment they need it, to deliver a better customer experience. And I will tell everybody this from AI. AI is something that we need to embrace and harness, but not let over let it overtake us, right? So if you think about what AI cannot do, AI cannot give feedback. Humans are essential to make any AI function in its true sense, right? So if you think about reinforced learnings from human feedback, that's really the cornerstone of generative AI. So these companies that are incorporating human feedback into the dialogue and mechanisms, of that's who really evolved their models, and that's really the future of what to look at. You know, at this point of our careers and, and what we're seeing today, AI is a tool. It enables humans to achieve greater goals. We agree with that. We need to embrace the fact, though, that you can teach an inf- you can teach a machine or an engine to get information we need. But it also, the positive side is it saves times to make decisions and allows you to be more innovative. That's the value of AI with HI. And concluding the discussion with the value of AI and what you shared, this game is coming to an end. I still have four questions for you. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. To, to, to conclude this discussion, what's your key leadership lesson that you have learned throughout your operations career that you want to share today with you? Well, in the 35 some years, I got millions, but let's hit a few. Number one, lead by example. Effective communication. I love empowerment and delegation, by the way, because I like to delegate and I like to empower teams to do something. In this world, and I've been in the business a long time, adaptability would be huge. I think you have to be an inspiration versus a motivator. We talked about this this morning. A lot of people talk about, oh, I need motivation. 
if if all you need to do your job is a poster that says great job, you're you're going to be replaced by a robot. Try to inspire people, right? Inspire people. Great leaders inspire their teams to cast a vision. Give them opportunities they've never thought they can do. Continuous learning is probably one of my biggest ones. I tell people all the time, I didn't wake up and know AI one day. I learned it over time. And, and that's what I would tell people is continuous learning. Don't be, don't be okay with the status quo. Last but not least, I would hit up is feedback. Providing constructive feedback and be open to receiving the feedback. If it wasn't for someone, and, and I've, I've mentioned my boss, Matt Rocco, he took me under his wing when I was an agent. This guy was a big shot. And he walked me into his office and he said to me, he's like, so what do you want to do? And I looked in his office and I said, man, this is a great office. I'd like to have your job. And I was an agent. And he took me under his wing and mentored me and gave me feedback, what I was doing well, what I wasn't doing well. He was like four levels above me. So, and I was opened to that feedback, which a lot of people aren't open. Hopefully that helps. I'm sure that it will help the audience with all these nuggets that you are sharing. In 10 years from now, we are back on the CX Goalkeeper podcast. What we're discussing about? So... I think it's going to be the evolution of customer experience because I've seen this in the two plus decades I've been here. You know, if you think about what has changed, you and I have been in the business a long time. My computer is thinner. I have a laptop versus the green screen when I first started, right? I have less hair, right? <laughs> I have beautiful screens. What has changed is the customer's expectations. Years ago, it was okay to be on hold for two, three, four, five, ten 10 minutes. I didn't have anything to do. But in today's world, I think that's what we talk about. I think the number two would be the innovations in CX. I think you're going to see some really cool stuff. I'm seeing some really cool innovations in customer experience. I think that's what we're going to talk about. And I think we'll also talk in 10 years like, Like, what was the impact of the technology? Remember, technology is an enabler, okay? Like, we talk about a speech analytics, the chat box, the day. You know, I think that's even going to get better. And I think last but not least, you and I will be talking about the global and cultural perspective. Because today, you're in Switzerland, I'm in the U.S. It's a global economy. So if you don't deliver that customer experience... In a global economy, I can go anywhere and buy your product. So I think those cultural perspectives are going to be really big in the future because I think a lot of people are missing that part of it because there is too much competition. Hopefully that helps. I am really looking forward to have this discussion, but not in 10 years, in the next few months because Absolutely. I think it's, it's already, already relevant. What's the best way to contact you? Oh, So mine's easy. It's Jim, J-I-M at etech, E-T-E-C-H-G-S for global services.com. That's my email. I am very easy to find on LinkedIn. There's not a lot of Jim Ayub's out there. So it's Jim, last name is Ayub, I-Y-O-O-B as in boy. Easy to find. I put a lot of content out like you. I'm very passionate about the CX. My content is free. It's all over my LinkedIn. Now, if you want to See the sarcastic side of Jim Ayub. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram because that's where I put my sarcasm stuff out. But my business stuff is all on LinkedIn. 
Thank you very much, Jim. And now we are concluding this episode with Jim's golden nugget. It's something that we discussed or something new to leave to the audience. Yeah, so the biggest nugget I will give you is read an article a day. Because in, 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 And the reason I say that is you become a lifelong learner. You could learn so much in a year. And I'll end with just a couple sentences. Embrace the change in innovation, right? And when you embrace it, embrace it with an open mind. In this ever-ending world of change, the ability to adapt and learn is going to be what's making you successful. Don't be afraid to change the status quo, right? That's the other thing. And, and hopefully you'll see in, in my career and your future career as your listener, adaptability, innovation, and willing to take calculated risks in, in order to achieve your personal goal and professional growth. Hopefully that helps everybody here. I'm so excited to be here today. The only thing that I can say is thank you very much for your time, Jim. Please stay with me to the audience for today. It's everything. Please follow Jim. Share your thoughts with Jim. We love feedback. That's something that also Jim shared. Let us know what you think about this episode. And for me, it's everything. See you next time. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth. Subscribe it. Share it. Until the next episode, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business. We are in a human-to-human environment. Thank you.